It's Wednesday, April 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Guilty on all three counts. Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, causing his death, was found guilty on second and third degree murder, in addition to second degree manslaughter. In an emotional case, many feel that justice has been served, but it's just a first step toward accountability. Janelle Griffith, national reporter at NBC News, was on the scene in Minneapolis and helps us break down this historic verdict. Next, more than half of American adults have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. And while that is good news, experts increasingly feel that we might not get to herd immunity. Recent polls suggest that 15 to 25% of Americans don't plan on being vaccinated, which won't help in the effort. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today, joins us for why herd immunity might no longer be on the table. Finally, coronavirus vaccination cards are increasingly being used in fraud scams. Recent listings on eBay are promising an authentic CDC vaccination card for about 10 bucks. Dan Diamond, national health reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Today history was made. We are finally starting to, as a country, live up to the promise of equal justice under the law for all people. Joining us now is Janelle Griffith, national reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Janelle. Thanks for having me on a historic day. Definitely. Yeah, we have uh, all guilty verdicts in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer accused of killing George Floyd by putting his knee on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. As I mentioned, second degree unintentional murder, guilty. Third degree murder, guilty. Second degree manslaughter, guilty. Janelle, you're joining us. Uh, This is right after we got the verdicts. You're outside of the courthouse. I know it's pretty chaotic there. Uh, Describe the scene, please. Tell us what's going on. So it's definitely chaotic, and I would describe it as very emotional. Once the verdict was announced, a lot of people erupted into tears. They were hugging each other. People were chanting all three and chanting Black Lives Matter. People of all races, not just black people. It's a very mixed race crowd and people were definitely celebratory. And they're also being mindful to each other and just to news outlets. They're speaking to reporters like myself. They're telling us this is just the beginning. This is just the start. So the mood is definitely celebratory, but it's also a little somber. And it's looking ahead at what yet needs to be done in our country with regard to policing. Yeah, just seeing some of the reactions so far, it seemed like a collective sigh of relief. Uh, I know people have said justice has been served. A lot of people saying justice has been served, but it's just the beginning. There's still a lot more to go, but this is a beginning at least. That's definitely what I'm hearing from people too. I've been speaking to lots of people. I've been here following it every step of the way, and I've been out here even before the verdict was announced, and people were telling me that they were hopeful They said that the fact that the verdict came down about 10 hours after the jury had started deliberating, they deliberated for about 10 hours over two days, and they took that as a sign to mean that he was guilty. They felt like the longer that the jury had deliberated, it would be a sign of them being confused or at odds. So the length of time was an indicator to a lot of people that it would be a guilty verdict, but they did not necessarily interpreted to mean guilty on all three counts. And a lot of people are saying they hope that this has an influence across the country because 
there are problems in policing across our country that people have been objecting to for years. And George Floyd's death just reignited those problems. And they hope that with this verdict, it can open more conversations and actually invoke serious change where there needs to be. We got a statement from Ben Crump. He's the attorney for the Floyd family. And he said that painfully earned justice has finally arrived for George Floyd's family. And this verdict is a turning point in history. And it sends a clear message on the need for accountability for law enforcement. So definitely that's where people want to go on. The next steps in all of this, the sentencing. It could be a few weeks away, but the judge also has to consider aggravating factors, which is going to be an important point. They could make the sentence even longer. Yes, the judge definitely will have to factor that in. What he has on his side is that clearly he didn't have any criminal history, but the judge will have the final say in terms of the length of his sentence. A few days after George Floyd's death, Derek Chauvin was willing to plead guilty to third-degree murder, and he was willing to serve at least 10 years in prison. But William Barr, who was the attorney general at the time, he killed the deal And people close to him told us and other outlets that the reason why was because he feared that the sentence was too lenient and that it would cause a great uproar with that sentence up to 10 years. So he killed it. And now here we are. And he faces a much different punishment than just 10 years. So I wonder if that's something that is weighing on him, Chauvin, you know, had he been able to go ahead with that plea, he would have only faced 10 years. And now he's facing a much, much, much more... I think the counts of second degree and third degree, I I think at a minimum or the presumed initial sentence is about 12 and a half years. So that's kind of a starting point, possibly. And as we mentioned, these aggravating factors, there's five different ones. Floyd was vulnerable because he had his hands tied behind his back. He was treated with cruelty. The police abused their position of authority. The officers committed the act as a group. And uh, it was done in front of children also. So these are all considerations that are going to be taken into account for that. Yes, and I imagine they will weigh heavily when the judge is deciding it. Time will tell, but I can't imagine it helps his case in any way. The burden of proof was on the prosecution. They had to make the jury feel that without a reasonable doubt, Derek Chauvin did cause the murder of George Floyd. And obviously they did that. The defense was shaky all along and some of the way they approached this, I mean, you kind of shake your head at it. So definitely a victory for the prosecution team and the defense just did not muster enough to win this. They spoke to a handful of legal experts, probably half a dozen prosecutors and also defense attorneys. And what they unanimously said was that basically Eric Nelson was no match for this prosecution. It was a team of all stars. The majority of the attorneys were seasoned attorneys, longtime attorneys. He was no match for them. They had 38 witnesses to his seven, and only two of his seven were experts. So he was clearly the underdog, and really, he didn't really have a defense. He was blaming George Floyd's death on his pre-existing health condition, but even the medical examiner's ruling didn't side with him, and the prosecution had these all-star witnesses from the police chief himself in the rare rebuke that we have discussed previously. He rebuked Chauvin, and then he had people like Dr. Tobin, who is a world-renowned pulmonologist who literally mapped out the minute George Floyd stopped breathing. He was able to break down this very complicated medical language to the average layperson, and it clearly translated because here we are with Chauvin being found guilty on all three counts. Janelle Griffith, national reporter at NBC News, thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. We're going to have increased hesitancy in the population soon. Supply is going to outstrip demand. And so we really have to be focused on building that confidence on those people that are sort of waiting and seeing. If we're going to get to that herd immunity, you know, we, we need to get all adults on board with this vaccine. Joining us now is Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. You're so welcome. We have seen a little bit more than half of American adults receiving at least one dose of the vaccine. You know, many are definitely on their way to their second shots already. So we're making good progress on that front. But the question of herd immunity has always kind of been looming since the beginning of the pandemic. And the goalposts had been moved there a lot. You know, it was like 70 percent, 75 to 80 percent. Some say with the new variants, it should be up to 90 percent. But experts are saying increasingly that we probably won't get there. So we need to start considering this in different terms. So, Elizabeth, you spoke to a few people about this. What are we hearing about herd immunity now? So herd immunity is basically that there were enough people who are immune to a disease that it basically can't find any more people to infect and it stops spreading. And for COVID, as you said, I mean, we're still learning how COVID works. So at first we thought 60 to 70 percent, then we learned more and we're like, yeah, maybe 70 to 80 with the variants, maybe we're up to 90 now. What we're hearing is that, yes, the United States could totally get to full herd immunity if 90 to 95% of Americans got vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus. We're not going to get there because from all the surveys that we're seeing, 15 to 25% of Americans are either saying they are unlikely or definitively won't get vaccinated. And if we are at 75% vaccination, we'll never reach herd immunity. The upside of that is they're saying, but if you're immunized, there's great data out of Israel and you may be okay even though. And let's talk a little bit about the data out of Israel because they're uh, number one right now when it comes to vaccinations. They're about 62%. So they're doing really well there. And what they saw is that when they hit over 50% of people vaccinated, they started to see cases, deaths, really severe cases of it start to plummet right away. So right away, you can see the gains hitting there when the majority of the population gets vaccinated. The other news out of there, which is heartening, is that it looks like when you get a lot of people, a lot of adults vaccinated, the cases in children starts to fall a lot as well. And again, this is just because that's what viruses do. They're looking for the next person to infect so that they can keep moving around in a population and the fewer people there are that it can infect, the harder time it has to move around. And so it's it's protective of people who haven't gotten vaccinated. And of course, the people who have gotten vaccinated are well protected. So that's all really heartening. The thing that the experts were telling me is what they're concerned about is we'll end up with the U.S. looking a bit like a patchwork quilt. There's going to be some areas with very high rates of vaccination where there's very little virus circulating. And so if you've been vaccinated or even if you weren't able to get vaccinated, you're probably not going to get sick. And if you were vaccinated, even if you do get sick, you won't get desperately ill. But there are other parts of the country where vaccination rates are lower and they may stay lower. And in those areas, the possibility of getting infected with covid will be just as it is right now, and COVID will continue to be just as dangerous as it is right now. 
we were talking about some polling and stuff about 79%, 80% of Democrats say they have plans to get vaccinated or have been already. On the Republican side, 46% say they don't plan to. And I think it was like a hard 30% that said they're not going to get it at all. This is why there's, you know, information campaigns geared towards conservatives, communities of color, younger people also to get them all on board to get it. But as you mentioned, that patchwork, you know, we might see these pockets where certain counties, certain states continue to have these higher infection rates. I did talk to one population biologist at the University of Wisconsin who had a slightly more hopeful message. He said, you know, what I was starting to maybe see glimmers of this as more people see lots of folks around them who've gotten vaccinated. They know people who've gotten vaccinated and they see that nothing horrible happens to them. And they, in fact, are able to open up their lives in ways that they haven't for a long time. And also as we continue to see the unvaccinated getting sick and sometimes ending up in the hospital and sometimes dying, that he's hopeful that over time, some of that, that hesitancy or that outright refusal will shift and that we will see those vaccination rates rise, even in the pockets where there's kind of hard refusals in place. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thank you. And with the looming possibility of organizations, sporting arenas, businesses, some travel and so on that are are asking for proof of vaccination, some of these Americans have decided that the way to meet that potential requirement is to forge their own paper vaccination card or buy one off eBay. Joining us now is Dan Diamond, national health reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thank you for having me back. We've seen about 130 million Americans that have gotten either one or both doses of the coronavirus vaccine so far, despite some of the issues we're having with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. These numbers are still kind of going up, thankfully. But uh, one of the things that's been happening is we've seen increasing scams with regards to these CDC vaccination cards. You know, they're paper cards. They're very easily counterfeited in a lot of cases. And we're just seeing these uh, listings pop up on eBay, people trying to make some money off of this. So, Dan, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing. Well, I think the good news is, yes, many Americans, more than half of adults, have now gotten legally a vaccination card (laughs) by going to get vaccinated. So the trend is pointing in the right direction. The challenge is that there are many Americans who don't want to be vaccinated at all. And with the looming possibility of organizations, sporting arenas, businesses, some travel and so on that are are asking for proof of vaccination, some of these Americans have decided that the way to meet that potential requirement is to forge their own paper vaccination card or buy one off eBay. Now, I don't think regulators know how much this is happening. It's possible it's just a fringe, but there's certainly a lot of interest in it. And my story for The Washington Post delved into why this is happening and who some of these scammers are. I do want to get into who one of these scammers are because it's an interesting story there. But let's start off first with why did we get these paper cards? My understanding is that there was a lot of plans ready to go digital on this and that the paper cards were kind of the fail safe, the backup plan. That didn't happen. That's what they went with. So how did that part of it work out? About a year ago, when the federal government was starting to roll out 
its anticipated plans for the vaccine, knowing that a vaccine could come at the end of the year or come very soon, there was talk about doing a digital system where if you've checked out a library book and you've gotten the email saying your library book is due next week, your library book is due today, similar idea that you would get digital reminders about where you were in the queue, when it was your time to get a shot, when it was your time to get a second shot, and so on. That plan never really materialized. Now, whether that was because CDC officials, officials at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, were aiming too high and they just ran out of time and expertise, that might be one reason. Another is that given the complexity of setting up a digital system, paper cards were seen as the easiest way to give people reminders to make tracking on some basic level happen as fast as possible. And as the end of the year approached and vaccines were starting to be prepared to be shipped out to states, that's when CDC started telling other officials, we'll be going with paper cards instead. So now let's get into one of these listings that you saw on eBay. You guys actually were able to obtain one of these fake cards, but it's a weird story. It was like a real card, but illegally obtained. So tell us about how that worked out. Yeah, it appeared to be a real card. There was a person on eBay, among the many people on eBay, listing vaccination cards for sale, or in one case, listing a protective pouch for a vaccination card for, it was about $10, I think. And if you bought the vaccination card pouch, as one whistleblower did, that person got an actual blank CDC vaccination card. And Using clues that the whistleblower shared with me, I was able to trace back that account to a pharmacist in the Chicago area who works in a major pharmacy chain. Now, I'm not mentioning that person's name or the chain because that person claimed to me that he had no knowledge of these cards that were being sold through his account that had been sold for the past couple of weeks. He claimed that his eBay password had been mysteriously changed and he didn't think about fixing it, which was odd because he has other listings up that he did confirm that he posted. Either way, the fact that this was happening undergirds the, the issue that I think is bigger, that these cards are either available on eBay, on Etsy, people are making them at home because as you pointed out, they're very easy to counterfeit. And if a pharmacist is even tangentially involved in this, it points up that there is some market for these kinds of fake cards. The last thing I wanted to just kind of bring up, you even mentioned in your article that Some of these scammers are exploiting all those selfies that people are posting. You know, people are excited to get their vaccines and get back to normal. So they're putting it on social media. But this kind of also helps these scammers when they can see those lot numbers for the vaccine. It helps them get the wording and the numbers right to make their fakes look more authentic. This is something that attorneys general have been warning about for a few months, that in the best of intentions, people posting photos of getting vaccinated, hoping to encourage others to do the same, but by putting their names, their birth dates, the lot numbers up, that is sharing personal private information. And it makes it that much easier for a scammer to simply copy all of that down. Dan Diamond, National Health Reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.